Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 95. There's, what, ever since the Supreme Court cases of last week, I, this, I, this is a great way to start. I'm just going to fumble with with a dozen different directions. I made it seven seconds approximately. Good job, Dan. And then We're was all like, proud of you. what do I talk about next? <laughs> thank, like, thank how do you, you even start a podcast episode? <laughs> Let's talk I about said, that, welcome. Guys. What's part two? What's part two? I got the welcome part down. That was easy. <laughs> what flashed through my mind was a variety of relatively uninteresting headlines, at least uninteresting to us. Boris Johnson is stepping down. Conservative Party is still in power over there. They're going to throw up another candidate, see if they can salvage their majority. Uh, over here, Biden is wildly unpopular, setting records by a variety of metrics. That still surprises me, and he's getting less popular, in part because of people feel like he's inadequately responding to all of the problems like inflation and uh, the Roe v. Wade case that we discussed last week. Um, but this is a poll that kind of sets off what we want to talk about today. We're going to return to our Austrian economics, or part three of this. And the final part of this little run through economics for now. Um, this is a poll in June 2022. Uh, the Monmouth, Monmouth is the group who conducted it. Of course, uh, we all know Monmouth. <laughs> Monmouth. I, I don't know why. Plymouth is another one, right? Plymouth is spelled like Plymouth. Who spelled these? English is a terrible language as far as trying to pronounce things go. My sister always says uh, English doesn't borrow from other languages. It stalks them down dark alleys, knocks them over the head, and goes through their pockets for loose grammar. <laughs> there's, some, there's some truth to that. They asked on this poll, among other questions, things like... Uh, one of the funny ones was, how many people think that do you think the country is moving in the right direction? And it's near 90% think it's moving in the wrong direction. It's one of those polls uh, reflecting very poorly on on Biden. But the one that we want to talk about is this one. It was phrased this way in the polling. Turning to issues closer to home, what is the biggest concern facing your family right now? And then it gives a list that they can pick from. And this list features things like taxes, immigration, terrorism and national security, safety, crime, civil rights, climate change, the environment, abortion, reproductive rights, guns, gun ownership, healthcare costs, job security, unemployment, and, and so on. It's got a list of about uh, 15 or so, and then has another category you can add of other or don't know. Now, if you had to guess what was at the top, and you know something about politics, you'd probably guess economy, because economy is almost always at the top of any list like this at any given moment. Almost always. They always do this around the time when, a pre when, when there's a president, presidential election. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, what are the issues we need to discuss? And they'll put together a list like this, and then they'll make... You know, they'll have a presidential debate and they'll discuss four things and they'll be the top four that people are concerned with. And economy will always be one of them and is usually number one. But here they are. I'm going to give you a few of them, give you what percent voted for them, because it's really, it's really insightful. Let me state a few at the bottom. First <laughs> off, immigration 
people for whom this was the number one issue, zero percent. It's where I don't it know be. how they rounded it. Right, that's, that's where it should be. Uh, terrorism and national security, zero percent. Climate change and environment, one percent. One percent. That was one of the big issues that led people to supporting President Biden, and that's that's usually one of the big issues that's debated around uh, presidential elections and things. Um, but I'm going to start at the top now. We're going to go. To, we're going to jump to the ones that have the most. Yeah, and just a reminder one, to people: this is just people could only pick one, so it was their top issue. It's not saying that people aren't yes. concerned about these things, but it's what yes. are you most concerned about? Can only be yes. One. What are you most concerned about? Yeah, no doubt, climate change and environment would have a much higher number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any like five. Any 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 Democrats listening here would be like, yeah, it was a concern. It wasn't the top concern. Just like conservatives listening would say the same thing about national security or immigration. In immigration, yeah, right, right. Number one is inflation, and it's not close. At thirty three percent, one third of everybody put inflation as, their as the big one thing. Concern. Number two is gas prices at 15%. It's just a, just a different choice for putting down inflation. Number three is the economy. Right? And what are you concerned What's about the big with the thing economy? In the economy? Not inflation, <laughs> other parts of the economy, you know? <laughs> inflation, gas prices, and apparently they, they were looking at the whole thing. Number four, so gas prices was 15%, the economy 9%. Number four is everyday bills, groceries, etc. at 6%. In other words, how inflation, gas prices, and the economy affects me. <laughs> These four categories combine, and I think you combined, you, you should combine them mentally, that people are looking essentially at, at the, the same, same issues, thing, yeah. right? 63% of the population are worried about this. So 63% very focused. Yeah. More than anything else, looking at the looking at the economy and seeing the inflation, the increased prices for gas and groceries. The next largest category is abortion and reproductive rights, which is probably this is probably the, the peak for this as the number one issue. Right. This is not going to be higher as the number one issue than it is now. And it's at 5%. 5% guns and gun ownership at 3% after that and so on. Yeah. And little nothing else comes. Yeah. Yes, nothing else comes there. anywhere close. COVID-19, 1%. Whereas if you did it December of last year, it was 18%. July of last year, 17%. August of 2020, it's 39%. March of 2020, it's 57%, right? It used yeah, yeah. to be the number one thing. At this point, inflation is absolutely dominant. And the gas prices and the economy and the everyday bills and groceries, they're all looking at the same. No, and that's an excellent point, Dan, is that even with the Supreme Court overturning, you know, a 50-year decision, <laughs> upending, right. you know... A huge, one of the most controversial issues this country has ever had to deal with. And it still can't handle how much people are concerned about the economy. Right, right. It, it's really interesting that that's, that's always the concern. Um, and it, like I said, it varies to some degree. Uh, 
that with COVID-19 at 57%, I don't know how back you could, how far back you could pull up numbers on these kind of things. I'd be curious when things crossed over 50%, because that's a, that's a massive number. Usually the number one item would probably have like 30% or something like that. COVID-19, of course, makes sense that it was the biggest issue for a while. And in part because it, for a while, was also the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were directly <laughs> intertwined. Right, right. So to return to what we were discussing, um, we took a week break to discuss the Supreme Court cases. We had talked a great deal about value scales. Value scales being this idea that you act in the world using means to achieve ends. And you do that consciously or unconsciously. And to make any kind of action in the world, there must be some kind of internal calculation by which you say, this is better than this, and this is better than that, and you you, uh, you use your reason and intuition and whatever else you can bring to bear, your impulses, your, your random desires, your, your fortune cookie, and you act in the world to achieve your ends, and those ends are extremely flexible, and you don't really know those ends and the means you're going to use to obtain them are very flexible. And they happen uh, at the moment the decision happens. We talked about the term marginal utility. The idea is you're only looking in the moment at the next step, at the next thing and the next thing you're going to obtain. If you're, if you're at the store buying candy bars, which we talked about at length, if you're at the store and you want to buy a candy bar, you don't necessarily buy your favorite one. Maybe you've had your favorite one lately. And you want a different one, or you're just looking to experiment because you're in a weird mood or something, right? Even if you said, my favorite candy bar is X, you might go with Y mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because the choice is always happening within the context of the next thing, the, the, the current thing. What is, what do you want right now? And, uh, and that's where, that's where all the action is. So you can't, you can't really make that many assumptions about uh, about the future. It's fairly unpredictable, and you have to see actually see the choice to uh, to know what what people are going to want. The choice is where the the information is generated. You can't generate the information about choices prior to the choice. Um, yeah, and in other words, what you're cost. saying is that if I want to look at your value scale, the only way I can do it is twofold. Number one, I have to see you make the choice. You know, if you go to the store and you buy the candy bar, I say, okay, in this moment, Dan's value scale looks like this. Top of the value scale, the thing he just bought. Second thing on the value scale, anything else he could have done instead. You know what I mean? And that's it. That's as concrete as the value scale gets in that moment from an outside perspective. I can't yes. tell I yes. can't tell what Dan's value scale looks like from the outside except on the margin and only when he acts. And and another yes. interesting thing is that um this, you know, this way of looking at things is not a course in psychology. We don't need to figure out why Dan chose the candy bar. We don't need to know his motivations. We don't need to know even if he's making the best possible choice. Those are all different fields of study. All we need to know is that Dan did make a choice. And from that, we get this whole 
field of economics. We don't, you know what I mean? All that matters is that you're making a choice, not why you're making the choice or even what the choice is. Yes. Yes. Right. That's, that's the, the heart of, uh, Austrian economics is this idea, this concept of praxeology of humans making choices to achieve ends. And as you were suggesting there, if you, from an outside perspective, there's just, there is no shortcut to that information outside of seeing me make the choice. So often people look at things like, uh, market prices and they, they think that if it were centrally planned, it would be more effective. Um, all of the information used to generate a market, a market price comes from individual actions. If you eliminate the individual actions, you lack the information that goes into the process. It's like, it's like trying to perform a calculation, but not having any of the necessary information. The government goes to set the price. They're going to be setting it arbitrarily because the data that, that generates it naturally is simply not there. And as such, you're, you're, you're acting randomly here. You're, you're taking what is a very complex thing whereby I, I weigh the cost and, uh, and the benefit and all of these things. And I perform, uh, what is the most natural and probably one of the most complex computations that anything can perform using knowledge that is absolutely exclusive to me. No one else has the knowledge about me and my preferences and my situation that I can have. And I give that small, that relatively small within the complexity of the whole economy and every, everybody acting, you know, and, and how that affects everybody else. I contribute that small piece of the puzzle. Brad contributes his piece of the puzzle and the whole thing comes together to create market prices, right? In terms of, if you were to think of it in terms of computing, um, how much processing power went into generating that, how much particular information was then used to, to as people who are acting in the world to then create this picture. It's absolutely absurd. It is the most complex thing in existence because it's the whole of it's, it's the complexity of every individual mm -hmm. coming together. And so it's, it's not, it's not replaceable. There is no shortcut to it. And no supercomputer could predict it. It lacks even the most intelligent supercomputer would lack the particular information that I am bringing to my small piece. Yeah. Cause you're talking about more than six billion data sets. <laughs> Six, <laughs> right, six billion right. individualized desires and individualized circumstances that all come together in and this preference. Yeah, right, right. In this insane medley that we call the world. Right. And by, and by adding coercive elements to that, you are, uh, affecting the signal in ways that, that are going to obscure the actual desires and, and interplay. That. And, and so that's, that's basically where we left off last time talking about free exchange. And talking about the, the folly of government intervention and free exchange. So there are a few more concepts that we'd like to delve into because so far we've been talking about things in a, in a very basic level. You know, we've talked about bartering, you know, exchanging one good for another. But the real world is so much more than that. You know, the real world is not just kids exchanging candy bars. For one thing, we haven't talked about production. You know what I mean? That we're not operating in a world full of... It's not... The world is not 
full of existing goods that we're trying to divvy up, even though that's often how we think about it when we talk about government action. The world yes. is a place where we're constantly creating goods, and that production is an integral part of the economy. In fact, it's one of the major parts, because without without the candy bars, you know, there's nothing for us to to exchange. And to divvy up, yeah. If it were just, if we were just talking about raw natural resources, the, the, those are the value of an, of an acre of land somewhere is nothing compared to the value of a cultivated acre of land with a house and a garden. And, uh, right. I think these things are, these things are completely different in terms of how we value them to say nothing of an empty, an empty space of, you know, parcel of land versus that same parcel of land with a factory and with the, mm -hmm. the transportation system to get the goods to the market. And like <laughs> one of these things would go for thousands of dollars. One could sell for billions. Right. And there's a reason for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. As demonstrated by the fact that in most places in the world, in most countries in the world, there are still relatively cheap sections of land that are available for sale that are far away from all of the modern things we use to produce, you know, that here in Utah, you can buy rural acres of land for only a few thousand dollars because it's not worth very much by itself. You need everything else in order for it to be worthwhile. Right, right. So, so the first thing we want to talk about as we delve into this is actually a really interesting concept, and it's called time preference. And we're going to talk about time preference because time preference is how you, we get to investment, and investment is really the first step in production. So the concept of time preference is, is really rather simple. It's, it's that we all would prefer to have things now versus later. So, you know, if I offered you, I can give you $100 now, or I can give you $100 five years from now, we prefer the $100 now. You know, if I can have a candy bar now or a candy bar 10 years from now, I'd rather have the candy bar ten year, uh, right now versus 10 years from now. <laughs> Sorry, I right. misspoke. Right, and this, and this works in terms of, uh, you know, things we don't think of as, as economics. Would you rather have a good friend now or a good friend in 10 years? Would you rather have a car now or a car in 10 years. And of course, a lot of all other things being equal, you'd rather have it now. And, and a lot of people are used to planning in a modern economy. And so they'd say, no, actually, I want a car 10 years from now. I want a friend 10 years from now. You know, I want all of these things 10 years from now. And absolutely we do. We all want things in the future, but not at the expense of things now. You know what I mean? That, that when you apply for a job, you want to get paid every two weeks. No one wants to work for a job where they only get paid once a year and have to work for a whole year before they see any money from it. You know what I mean? No one wants to loan their money to a friend at, or, or to a random stranger at 0% interest and not see it for years and get it back because that's what it would mean if you didn't care whether or not you had the money now. You know what I mean? If you don't care about whether or not you have money now or later, you'd be just fine working for a job where you wouldn't see your first paycheck for 10 years. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If you had zero time preference. Yeah. If you had, you had zero, no if you had no time preference, you say, okay, yeah, 
I'll get paid in 10 years. That's no problem. Yeah, I, 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 right. I don't is- have a house now, but I'll have a house in 40 years. That's fine. You know what I mean? I right. don't. I don't have a friend now, but I'll have a friend in twenty years. I'll wait. Right, which which would be absolutely absurd, right? Because people are, you're dying. <laughs> right? your, your life is running out. Your life is running. Yeah, out. because we only live now. You know what I mean? If you if you want to get philosophical about it, there really only is now. The future is something we can plan for and something we can think about, but it's not something. That we directly acted, you know, we only act in the moment and we can only fulfill our needs in the moment. And so that's what takes precedent. Whatever else yeah, we it, tell yeah. ourselves in reality, that's what we care about. Yes. And this isn't, this isn't some kind of strange endorsement of hedonism or anything Absolutely like that. Not. The idea is all things being equal, you know, everything else being the same, would you rather have it now or later? And the answer is, of course, now. Why would you want to have it later if everything else is the same? all other things being equal. Now, obviously, if all other things are not equal, there may be reasons to have it in the future. (laughs) Maybe today I'm already full and so I'd prefer the steak tomorrow, right? Well, and, and, and Dan, it's a little bit confusing when we talk about this versus now versus later because the thing is, is when you have it now, that's how you have it later. You know what I mean? Yes. All of us want money when we retire, and how do you get money when you retire? By collecting money now. So it's, yes, it's yes. this is, and that's why you're that's saying it's point. not an endorsement of hedonism or saying just living in the moment. No, we're saying that we're all planning for the future, but how we plan for the future is by trying to get things quickly so that we have them before the future gets here. And that's time. Yes, preference. this is not saying, right. This is not saying, would you like to spend would you like to have a friend today or a friend on a specific day in 10 years? We're talking about why not have the friend now and in 10 years? Why not, why not start the friendship now? Why not have the $100 now and you can do whatever you want with it or save it and you'll have it in 10 yeah, years? Yeah, exactly. If that's because you if you have it now, you'll have it later. That's a beautiful thing about the future. <laughs> so this is, uh, this idea of time preference is why, uh, uh the most obvious, uh, Thing that follows from this. If this is true, if people have a time preference and they prefer things now as opposed to later, all other things being equal, then something like an interest rate is natural. Because if you're going to, if I'm going to give up something now for something later, I want something in return. If I'm going to sacrifice now for later, it better be for a better later than what I could have now. And if it's not getting better, why on earth would I do it? If it's not improving my situation in some way. Um, if exercising didn't give you some payoff, you would not go through the misery now for that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and, and that expression of time preference um, is exactly what people do in terms of money. They, they, if they're going to give you money now, give you re which represent resources they're going to give you resources now it's because they want more reset resources later and it's and it's not just in terms of loaning it's in terms of of almost everything we do you know even when when you exchange your labor for money what you're doing is exchanging your now for your later you know what i mean because if instead of enjoying your leisure time, you know, instead of taking a nap or, or playing with your kids, you're going to go to work 
in exchange for money that you're going to get later. And, and that's going to benefit you in the future, but it's only because yes. it's worth it. And it's worth it based off of how high your time preference is, how much you're willing to put off what you're enjoying and how much it has to be valued at by you personally. These are all personal valuations on your value scale. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's individual, but that's also something that everyone does on a regular basis. And it's something yeah, that we yes. do for, for our work. It's something we do when you loan money. It's also something you do when you, you know, start your own company or whatever, whatever else it is, is you're investing your time and your resources now. So you're sacrificing them now for something in the future. You know, when you talk, when we've talked before about our, our man in a state of nature, you know, collecting berries, an example of this would be, is instead of collecting berries that day, he goes and he creates a spear so that it become. or I guess a spear would make more sense than the fishing analogy. Let's say we got the guy fishing. <laughs> the berry guy can, can keep, keep collecting can make berries a basket by or himself. Something. Yeah. But the, the fisherman, you know, he takes a day to create a spear and that day he doesn't have any fish. So he's sacrificing that current consumption in the hopes that tomorrow he'll be able to fish more than he was able to fish today. And if the spear didn't help him fish in the future, there would be no point in making it because he might as well just keep fishing today. You know, why sacrifice your labor if it's not sacrifice today's consumption, if it's not going to improve tomorrow's consumption? Right. And, and this should be, I thought this seems remarkably intuitive to me, and hopefully it is. That this is the case, that if you didn't, that the only reason you wouldn't just spend all day in true hedonism, you know, just, just engaged in whatever impulse strikes you is because you think you can be happier through sacrificing your present impulses and other things. You can, you can actually improve your life by foregoing current pleasures and foregoing current impulses to to make something better um and the spear is a good example uh uh you could create a basket if you're picking berries um shovel if you're digging stuff you know what these are very basic capital goods these are tools that you're using that are going to make you more effective and you're sacrificing time you're putting off the 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 immediate now for the future you can imagine circumstances in which this would not happen. If you're wondering if you should go to work today and you're going to be executed at midnight tonight, the answer is no, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably no. You probably shouldn't go to work today. You should probably go spend time with your family or go, you know, <laughs> maybe you're a very lonely person and you should go live it up or something. You know what I mean? Like you, what, what you should be doing is going to depend somewhat on your circumstances. If you were going to be attacked in an hour, you probably shouldn't be making a basket for holding berries. You should probably be making a weapon or running away or doing something like that. There are a variety of circumstances that would radically change your time preference, mm-hmm. right? And and it should. Sometimes you should be looking long-term. Sometimes you should be looking short-term. I was reading a funny article that was talking about how Las Vegas in the United States is the place of high time preference where we're uh, by high time preference. We mean 
you want very immediate satisfactions. <laughs> People go there, they blow a lot of money, they do a lot of things that they may regret later, and they, they don't worry about tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is an example of a city dedicated to people who want to spend, who want to be in a high time preference state of mind. <laughs> and they come and they act in ways that they, they wouldn't maybe any other time in their life. And then they leave and they go back to their normal life. <laughs> they go back to saving and doing whatever it is they're going to do so they can do this again next year. <laughs> it's an example of, of a manifestation of, of time preference. The, the Vegas example makes it sound like time preference is just a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a natural result of the fact that we live in a time-controlled world. You know, earlier when we talked about human action and value scales, we talked about the fact that we're limited because of time. You know, we only have so much time and there's only so much we're able to, able to do. And that limitation... It's the scarcest resource. Yeah, it's our scarcest resource. And... That's why we have time preference. If we lived, if we were, if we never died, you know what I mean? If human beings just lived and lived and lived, our time preference would be very different because, because I'm, because it doesn't matter if I do it tomorrow, I'll just do it the next day or the day after that. You know what I mean? There would still be some yeah. time preference because, <laughs> you know, if you don't eat today, you might die tomorrow. You know what I mean? And so, and so things like that would still have an effect, but it'd be very different, you know, because of that, yes. because you're going to live forever, but we know we're not going to live forever. And so we naturally have a time preference. Like, let's say you're a very patient person, but in order to get a return on your investment, it'll take 300 years, you know, much longer than the average human life and much longer than the longest human life, you know, there's no way for you to benefit from that. It's very unlikely you're going to make that investment because you want to be able to see the return from it. And, and that's just a, that's, these are natural limitations on time preference. Yes. Yeah. When you think about production in terms of time too, uh, production, what you're making, uh, especially if you've got to make capital goods first, if you've got to make a shovel that takes time, maybe you're, you're so weak, you're almost going to starve to death. You absolutely need to fish and then maybe work on making a spear and later a fishing pole and things. Which um, is the same in thing the, in, in the modern world. You know, you yes. shouldn't be investing 100% of your income. And as a result, you're starving to death and homeless. You know what I mean? Even though everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> yes. investing for your future is good. Yeah, but you still have yeah. to take care of your needs today. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's something good about that, something that you should be doing. Yes. Um, it, it's also why in periods of uncertainty, people don't invest very much in the future, right? If you're, if you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, or I guess the more, the more confident you are in stability, the more likely you are to invest in the future. Um, as we said, if you, if you were very sick, that's going to change things. If you're, if there is a war, thinking again in the modern world, wars, really change things. Uh, elections can really change things. Different policies can really make the future seem uncertain. And as such, you're going to be more likely to capitalize now. You can say, I, if I can get X amount of money now or a greater amount of money later, but that money later is less certain, 
then that's going to change things, right? You, you might go with the money now, the less amount of money now. You might go with, you might sell your stock instead of hanging on to it, right? Waiting for the economy to grow and eventually pay you back for it. You might avoid the investments and, and get something more like, like a car instead or, and so on, right? This is, this, this way of thinking significantly affects the economy in the, and how, uh, and whether the economy is growing or shrinking. The economy it grows when people invest because by, by making the spear to be able to fish, you actually are going to be able to catch more fish. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, you've got Brad and I to, fishing. He's going to profit from making that spear. Yes. Brad and I are fishing. I'm fishing. He's picking berries. He makes a bucket. He's able to then get way more berries in a day. I make a spear. I'm able to catch far more fish. We exchange. We are now living much better. We're getting a lot more fish and a lot more berries. Or we were we're getting the same we're amount, better. but we have more leisure time, depending right, on what we right. prioritize. Right. We could get more food or we could then spend our extra time doing other things. And, it's, and we could have the same amount. And as you said, maybe then we've got some time to start making traps and try some hunting or something now, like now that. Now, what's important to note, Dan is that that's not actually a hypothetical scenario. That is not only possible, but is how the world works today and, and how the world yes. came to be what it is today, is that you can actually, theoretically, you could trace back our economy to primitive times where people first started creating tools, that what people did is they had their ability to labor they had their intelligence, they had their physical strength, and they used that to create capital goods in the forms of primitive tools in order to make their lives better. And then they used those tools to make even better tools, and then they used those better tools to make other capital goods that they used to better their lives. So that 200 years ago, you had a farmer using a plow, which was an a surprisingly complicated tool that was actually made by several different people who then sold that capital good to that farmer in exchange for, at this point, money that they that would then use on other goods that they wanted. And then because of that, this farmer is able to have this incredible farm and produce far more than just a few berries or just a few fish. And then cut forward to today where you have that same thing where today I'm surrounded by products, almost none of whom, none of these, none of whom I'm pers- personifying <laughs> these products, none of these products, well, almost none of these products were made by my own hand. You know, there's a couple of crafts I've done, but, right. but you know, these chairs, this table, this house, I didn't make any of these things, but someone else made them not because they were going to enjoy them, but in exchange for what today we call profit or interest or whatever you want to call it, but it was a, you know, in exchange for an increase of wealth for them, I am now able to enjoy these capital goods. Yes, yes. And money really changes things uh, in terms of how the flow works. Um, money allows you to basically money is stored value mm-hmm. right? instead of having to take a good and then barter it or to uh you know have something i might not consume um money is is a uh 
good money is stored value that carries into the future um, that you can then exchange later for things you want or or now or whatever you can do whatever you want with it um the harder the money is the more stable it is the better it works at its job of of storing that value and the more the more secure the future becomes the more stable the future becomes um we can i'm torn now if i want to jump into money or if we want to continue with with uh production and capital for a minute let me just say this about production and capital um money comes into play here because it's key for for exchanging not just goods but exchanging things like labor for money right um it becomes more desirable to have money than to have concrete goods especially when you can when you get so good at fishing you can catch a hundred fish what good is the surplus fish to you? <laughs> and you can only exchange it for so many berries. But if you could, if you had a full economy and you could get it for money and then you could, um, you can do all kinds of things with the, with the efficiency that money brings in exchange. Yeah. And, and one of those things, as you're saying, is it actually lengthens our time preference because, because money stores, you know what I mean? You know, when when yes. you're when all you have is fish and berries, your time preference tends to be just today because that's all the fish and berries are good for. You know what I mean? Having a huge yeah. store of fish that will allow me to eat fish ten days from now doesn't do me a lot of good because a ten day old fish is kind of nasty. <laughs> I would rather just you know just fish two fish and eat those fish today and then fish two more tomorrow. But instead, right, right. I, I can tend to, to do different things when it's money because money keeps. I can, I can invest that money and collect interest from it and have much more money tomorrow and so many other things. And that can actually change your time preference. And you can look more and more into the future, which is critical for society. Because as we're talking about with this time preference and investment – the key here is production. You know, we enjoy things because they've been produced. The reason they've been produced is because people are trying to increase the value that they're getting from life through creating these, these things that they're producing, not for themselves to enjoy, for others to enjoy in exchange for something else. And that something else is what we call today profit or interest, depending on, you know, what we're talking about, but they're all the same thing. They're all a benefit that's greater because of the time that it took. And that benefit is literally what makes the whole world go round. If you remove that interest, if you remove that profit, there's no reason for people to produce and people will stop producing except for their own daily consumption. And you go back to a hunter gatherer society. Right. You, you sacrifice, they're sacrificing the now for uh, a better future. Mm -hmm. And that sacrifice, they will not make that sacrifice without the better future. Yeah. If a farmer is not is... going to be able to sell his, his crop for a profit, he's not going to farm more than what he needs just for himself to survive. Because there's right. no reason right. to. No, there's no incentive. There's no incentive. Um, it, it's really interesting. The way, the way this plays out is trippy. So, uh, you can see how, so production, 
requires a sacrifice now for the future. And the less secure the future seems, the less likely I am to make that sacrifice, the more likely I am to just live for the now. Um, this is where things like property rights come into play. If I am not going to have control over what comes out of my labor, right? if I'm going to work and maybe it's going to go to someone else or the benefits are going to be received by others, the incentive, the profit uh, has been removed. Why am I going to sacrifice the now? That seems unwise when I could be spending my time doing things like, like it, like leisure time. Mm -hmm. I could be spending time with my family instead of this. That would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. And if I can't be sure I'm actually going to improve my family's life anyway, why not spend my time there? Do the minimum, like you were saying, do, do what you have to to survive and go from there. This is why as you secure property rights, you get increased production because the secure, because it allows people to be more and more certain about sacrificing now leading to a better tomorrow. And the result is because of exchange, everybody becomes better off. The result is someone can work at McDonald's, have no skills of any kind and make way more money than you can make in most countries, right? Make way, make more money than, uh, than the average person in most countries by a long ways. And it has nothing to do with their skills and what they're bringing to the table. It's just that our country is really really productive. We have invested a lot into making tomorrow better and sacrificed a lot of today's. Our time preference has been stretched out. Mm -hmm. You can really see this at the extremes in some companies. Uh, oil production is a good example. Before oil investment becomes profitable, there is a massive initial cost. You pay a fortune to uh to go in and and to even find the oil <laughs> to then find out where you should dig and to find the effects and of course there's there's bureaucracy and things that makes all this much harder but even without that the initial investment is extremely high how long before it becomes profitable it can be decades it can be a really long time this is also true of things like car manufacturing mm -hmm. um any really complex task or something that were, that like, uh, oil where you, you have to do a lot to extract it is going to pay off further and further in the future, right? So you don't just have to be sure about tomorrow or next year or 10 years. You need to have things stable enough that you know it's going to work for 30 years. 40 years yeah for it to pay off the initial cost potentially because you because actually, even if the oil yeah. well starts producing in only six months it's not going to pay itself off in six months it's it can take years to pay off that initial investment and so you have yeah. to plan for that whole time because if it's not going to pay itself off then it's not worth it you know yeah, what I mean? If yes, you spend if a hundred million to do that oil well, it starts producing in six months and produces for three years and only produces 60 million before it shuts down. That's not worth it. That's throwing away money. It, it is throwing away money. It's uh, your time would have been better spent in just other holding places, the money. Right? That's what that tells you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so these kind of, so the, the, the more complex and longer term, the higher technology in a lot of ways to, to really take advantage of innovation and technology, you need stability. 
and you need that stability reflected in property rights that guarantee benefits to the people who are making the sacrifices, or you do not get the sacrifices. If you, if you don't have the benefits going, benefits going to people making the sacrifices, they will not sacrifice. Um, this is, there's, there is an equivalent on the money side. <laughs> on the money side, uh, if money is the, the main, the primary store of value, then the degree to which money can store the value, how, how hard the money is, is often the term we use, how much it's going to be worth in 10 years, affects time preference, right? If I'm going to invest in an oil well and it, uh, an oil rig out in the ocean and, uh, the drilling and things, the initial cost is something like 150 million. If I'm going to do that, but in 10 years, the dollar is going to decline so significantly that even though I'm making a profit on, in terms of numbers, I'm still actually losing money. I'm still actually, uh, I'd be better off investing in other goods because of inflation. Obviously, that's going to deter investment. So inflation, once you have money added on, this is another layer by which you can really, really wreck the economy because people will stop sacrificing today for tomorrow because tomorrow is uncertain. Yeah, yeah. So so let's say I have $100 today in the real world. This is, I mean, this is a hypothetical, but... I do have a hundred dollars. So it's a hypothetical. <laughs> it's a hypothetical you don't how have, much money you don't have do you have, money. Brad? And I'm like, let me check my wallet. I'm counting I the pennies. I could loan you a hundred dollars if you. <laughs> so hypothetical scenario. Today I've got a hundred dollars. Inflation rate is, you know, fixed fixed by by the government at eight point six percent. In reality, though, depending on what you're buying, it could be much higher. You know, look at the goods that you're spending money on. For a lot of Americans today, it's actually higher than that, you know, um, because you're not necessarily buying the goods that's being listed by, using to, yeah, by the government. They're using to market. By the way, yeah. if you're hearing some extra noises, it's my two-and-a-half-year-old son who's who's here with me right now. We've got a fun recording situation today. But anyways. Oh, my gosh. The background noise coming from me must be real. Kids squealing in the background and things. We're, it's, it's amazing we were able to produce any content this week, guys. But anyways. <laughs> True. But, but whatever that, that, that real inflation rate is, let's say it's 8.6%. And someone offers and says, hey, if you invest this $100 in my company – a year from now, I'll give you $105. I would say, hold on. A year from now, $105 is actually going to be less valuable to me than $100 now because inflation is 8.6%. And so if I invest that money with you, I'll actually have less money than if right now I simply buy some kind of consumer's good that will last a year that I was going to buy next year and just buy it now. You know, if I just buy clothes for next year today, I'll actually be better off than investing. And so that's something that yes. inflation does is it makes it makes people more likely to spend rather than invest. Because why invest in capital goods that you're then going to get for a profit when you could actually just spend, spend it on a consumer's good, on what you actually want, and save money versus investing. You know, if you go yes, around yes. right now and shop for deals, you can get things cheaper than you can in a year. 
And so why not do that versus investing in some, you know, CD or or other interest-bearing return that's less than inflation? Like, it makes no sense. And that's how inflation works. It makes no sense. It destroys your time preference. It makes you much more likely to spend instead of investing. And what's the natural result of that? Reduced production. Because this is taking place on a grand scale. Remembering, you know, you've got billions of people with value scales. And some of those people are very powerful and influential. You know, we're talking about, you know, company CEOs are making these same kinds of calculations. And you may be thinking, well, people don't care about inflation. (laughs) Let me tell you right now, the people who are running these companies are not idiots. They're there because they understand how this works, and they're going to change what their company does based yeah, off of these say, very real markers. Go back markers. to the polls. Actually, right now, people have never cared more about inflation. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, if you get inflation high enough, or even the perception of inflation, right? Because there's that there's that added layer of there's there's what's actually happening, but then there's how people perceive it, and it's how people perceive it that leads them to act, right? That leads to higher and higher time preference. They want things closer and closer to immediate. And, uh, and as you said, they they stop sacrificing today for tomorrow. Um, production doesn't just hold still in those cases. It goes down. It goes down because it takes sacrificing some todays just to maintain the productive resources that we have. The amount of capital that we have is constantly wearing out. It's being used up though slower than other things. That spear for catching fish breaks. That uh that fishing rod wears, right? These things these things are not it's not a one and done thing. They make you more efficient, but you also have to replace them occasionally. Um the factories and things have to be replaced. The tools have to be replaced. If it gets high enough, we become truly less productive, whether it be inflation or or other things that affect time preference. If we get more and more concentrated on now, even even if it's just a moral decline, a moral decay could do it. People could just say, <laughs> could become less and less likely to sacrifice for tomorrow. Um, and the result is we can get significantly less wealthy. In the long run, life expectancies go down, deaths because of all kinds of reasons go up, right? The medical care we're able to offer decreases in quality that Everything is affected. All of the things that COVID-19 affected because we closed stuff down are affected, right? In some ways, we got a, we got an actual look at what it's like for production to go massively down by the results of COVID-19 mm-hmm. because we closed everything down. It was effectively the same thing in terms of the results, though, though hopefully our production never decreases that much again. But it's, it, it's, it's just trippy the way that, uh, the way that, um, if you look at countries like, of course, Venezuela, you, you can point to any number of, of countries that have fallen apart. Um, inflation, once you get hyperinflation, nobody invests, period, because it's foolish, because the, there is no secured wealth for tomorrow. And the result is the economy is not just temporarily halted until you get better money. It is, it is destroyed. This can happen for other reasons too. Political instability or war. The Ukrainian country right now is not going to just be able to go back to the way it was. Obviously, massive things were destroyed by the war, but even what wasn't destroyed wasn't maintained. 
and as such, it's going to be extremely hard to get it back to where it was. They were saying something like they need like $750 billion to recover from the war. That's probably a, a generous underestimate. All of these things are, are part of why inflation is so bad. Part of it's probably partisan. Some of it's partisan. In terms of politics, the Republicans are definitely trying to stick it to the Democrats. That's always going to be a factor. But what's happening in the economy is devastating. It actually is. And, and it's more than just inflation because part of it is uncertainty. That you have supply chain issues that have rippled out from so many economies actually shutting down from COVID. Those supply chain issues are still occurring today. And more important than those supply chain issues, the supply chain unreliability. In other words, the perceived supply chain issues are causing uncertainty. The perceived inflation is causing uncertainty. And the more uncertainty you have, the higher your time preference, the more you're going to be focused on now. So going back to how we first started this, talking about greedflation, there are a few principles we can draw here. The first thing is that far from there being too much profit, profit is just a natural result of a good economy, of people who are exchanging their present for future you know, for future goods, which is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely what we want. And so businesses having too much profit <laughs> is not the problem and is not the what's creating inflation. And the, On well, top of that, these businesses add, one quick yeah, note add to something, that. Dan. So where there is seemingly excessive profit, that acts as a signal. If you were to say, how should I sacrifice my time to be as much better off as possible tomorrow, you would look and you would see where are the profits. And then you would go to that area that would increase the supply of that good. And that would, and then that would decrease the total profits in that area, right? The particular profits for that area. And the result is you'd get more of those goods as people are looking for them. Oil right now, for example, <laughs> and, and you get lowered profits as more and more people move to that industry it profits profits are an extremely yeah. useful symbol in how you should how you ought to sacrifice your time these companies are being run by real people who are affected by inflation and uncertainty and that's going to cause them to be less likely to invest and to produce and so there's going to be a natural delay it's not going to not happen, but it's going to be slower than normal because of that uncertainty and that inflation. And so this inflation might stick around because of that, because, because you know, oil prices go up, but because they, they've gone up in such a way and with so much uncertainty, a lot of oil companies who, as one of our listeners pointed out, actually have a greater reason to invest in new oil opportunities might be hesitant to do so because they don't know what the future holds. And that applies for so many industries that a lot of these businesses are trying to weather the storm just like everybody else. And because of that, they're going to be slower 
to produce more and they're going to be more careful and so it's going to take longer for us to recover and that's just a natural result in yes. the situation we're in it doesn't yes, mean the companies are in particular evil. if you just say do i look for trying to maximize my profits now or do i invest and make more money in the long run the answer if i were on these advisory boards which i'm not for good reason <laughs> i would say absolutely capitalize on the now as much as possible because the political writing is on the wall. Oil companies are, are hated by most of Americans or by a significant portion of Americans. And politically, uh, there's constantly being barriers thrown up in their way. It's just investing in the future for oil seems like an extremely, uh, like the long term for oil is just not good. It's not good. Yeah, yeah. And and the environmental things that government has done to restrict oil production is definitely a very real factor in terms of what oil companies have done. You know, Biden being in office versus Trump being in office affects what oil companies do. Absolutely. It does. And with that, thank you for listening to us and our children. <laughs> we'll see you next week. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.